Welcome to the Holiday Moods Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Sydney, and I will be continuing my topic on unusual tourist attractions in the U.S., specifically the Dole Plantation on Oahu. This is Cole, and I'm going to be continuing my continental series of Off the Beaten Path. This is Beth, and I'm going to be talking about iced tea in the United States. Mm. And this is Randy, and I don't have a topic this week, but I do have some holiday happenings that we always start the podcast with. I actually have three this week. One, I noticed that the stores are hot and heavy into putting out their school supplies into those bins, you know, all set for uh, parents to come pick up with a little list that say, if you're in this school, these are the things you need. Yeah, a lot of different seasonal sections in your local Walmart or Target are going to be filling up with school supplies. Yes. And I was very excited because today at church, um, they were talking about collecting school supplies. And they said, and I'm it's probably, I'm sure a joke, but we'd like to get a school bus full of supplies for students in the local schools. And I thought... Thank goodness, finally, I have somewhere to take all the school supplies I always want to buy. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Second holiday happening for this week, last night was the Hallmark Channel Christmas movie preview for the year. That's right, it's July, but they did the Christmas movie preview, and this is Hallmark Christmas in July month, so they're showing a lot of the uh, movies from previous years which I'm recording some that I didn't already have recorded. And some <laughs> uh, are favorites. And some are favorites. They actually had a new one this month already aired called Christmas Camp, but it was on one of the Hallmark channels we don't get. There's actually three Hallmark channels. There's the regular one. There's the Movies, Movies and Mysteries. Mysteries yeah. And then there's the like the Premiere channel. There's another channel that's you, you have to go another level up to get don't make us pay for I don't more. remember what that third one's called. Don't quote me on that. But it was fun. They showed probably four or five um, of the upcoming Christmas movies. There are Foster Kids. There are... I didn't see any... You know, Cole and I were talking about the last couple of years. There hasn't been any secret Santa ones where Santa Claus is actually like the main character, but you're not supposed to know that he's the main character. Yeah. Or like he's the son or daughter of Santa Yeah, they've Claus. transitioned to a lot of like princes yeah. and yeah. secret yeah. royalty. In yeah, that and that, they didn't have a lot of those um, in the ones they previewed. Um, I actually like the secret Santa ones when they're... Yeah, well, they're magical. They are they've magical. Been turned, there's less magical ones in right. the last few years. I mean, they're yes. all magical, but <laughs> right. in their own special way. Yes. So that's very fun. Something to look forward to watching starting at the end of October, I think they come out. And then the final holiday happening is also Hallmark, but it is the Hallmark Ornament Preview Weekend starting this weekend. So I had gotten the Hallmark book in May that showed all the ornaments, but I went to the Hallmark preview today and got to see most of them. Yeah, they have a, most of them, but not all of the ornaments out. And you know, the Hallmark stores do it in a very fun way. They have Christmas music playing. They've got lots of people in kind of Christmassy colors, and they're you know ready to talk to you and, and um, greet you and help you with your ornament selection. So that was very fun to go in there and see some of our series that are continuing that we get every year and then what the new ones were. So very fun. It is very fun. Thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. 
my topic today, it kind of um, rolled into something bigger. So I originally was looking up different topics for unusual tourist attractions in the U.S. And I came across a very unusual one. So it is a pineapple maze. Okay. So... Wait, is it a maze for pineapples or a maze of pineapples? Maze of pineapples. Oh, okay. Yes. So I have heard of corn mazes and bamboo mazes, Mm -hmm. but never a pineapple maze. Mm -hmm. So that was very unusual. Well, the more I... Start looking into it. Pineapples grow on the ground and they're really short. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't it's seem a really like easy base to get maze. Maze. You have to crawl. <laughs> it's for cats. <laughs> Although they can jump over it. But um, but no, so it, so they had a website that I went to, and it's actually the maze is a part of the Dole Plantation on Oahu. So this is a very unusual like cute and unusual place. It is a popular visitor attraction in Hawaii, which I had no idea, um, apparently. It's located in central Oahu, and the Dole Plantation offers a number of fun activities for visitors and locals alike, including their world-famous pineapple garden maze, which is what I um, mentioned, the Pineapple Express train, the Plantation Garden Tour, and their extensive plantation center and country store. Oh. So I'm going to go through just uh, fun little tidbits for you all. <laughs> like pineapple tidbits? Fun yes. little pineapple tidbits for each of us. <laughs> Maybe. Wow, that's a good one, Mom. <laughs> Thank you. So Hawaii is known as the Aloha State, and the symbol of welcome throughout the world is the pineapple, which I knew. <laughs> that lots of pineapple decorating my desk at work. of welcome? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Is there like a uh, reason that that's the symbol of welcome? Mm, I'm sure there is. I just don't no, have no, the research on me. It's is been that s- way a lot. It's like I've for heard that long for a time. Yeah, a long time. Is there a symbol of goodbye? Yes, when you draw the drapes. Oh, that's it. <laughs> you close the drapes. <laughs> oh, that's People bad. know that. It's time to leave. <laughs> So, uh, at the Dole Whip Plantation, visitors will have a chance to learn all about the history of the pineapple industry in Hawaii and the man who made Hawaii the pineapple capital in the world for much of the 20th century, also known as, I think, as the Pineapple King, James Dole. Oh, I thought, Found- his, I thought his name would be James Pineapple. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> that, would have been- <laughs> that would have been so funny if that was like, that was the origin of the name and we never knew it. No. The, the founder of the Hawaiian Pineapple Company now known throughout the world as the Dole Food Company. So the Plantation Center and Country Store um, is the first place visitors will see when entering from the parking lot. So I'm getting a lot of this information from tripsavvy.com, but they have their own website that lists everything out as well. Dole does, you mean? Yes. The Dole Plantation. It is reminiscent of a store that you would have found on a pineapple plantation of olden days with antique tables, baskets, and traditional wooden bins. There are also special wall-mounted displays chronologically the history of pineapple. That is the lovely store. They also have a plantation grill that offers a, a very reasonably priced menu that includes sandwiches, salads, as well as hot entrees, each of which come with rice and locally grown greens. I wonder if they grill pineapples there, because I know you used to grill pineapples, or occasionally grill pineapples, do. so that's really good. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. 
Um, it's when I grilled ham steaks. Yes. I'd sometimes grill pineapple, too. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, that was really good. Mm-hmm. You should do that again. I should. Yeah. So the garden tour. We're going to end the podcast now. So back <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> we will never know about the maze. <laughs> How did the maze really exist? Exactly. So the garden tour gives um, visitors the chance to look into the past and present of Hawaii's Agriculture. The tour takes visitors through eight mini gardens, and I believe it's a um, oh audio you, exactly. Okay, oh, so you get your tour. little audio. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it called? The audio earpiece. Earpiece. Ear I think yeah. I think they call them audio tours. Yeah, audio like tours. little audio tour yep. uh, guides. Yeah, yeah, where you yourself can just walk through. Oh, self guided. Yeah, oh, self guided. Gotcha. Those are fun, too. We've done those. Yeah, yeah those are really cool. They usually have, like, a little number that you right. can punch in mm-hmm. for different areas. Yeah. So, I believe that that is what that tour is about. Although, um, I thought this was very cool. There is a Pineapple Express. It's a 20-minute, two-mile excursion in a custom-constructed vintage train around the Dole Plantation, which takes guests past several acres of diversified agriculture and actively work pineapple fields with wonderful views of two mountain ranges on either side of the Oahu Central Valley. That sounds like a lot of fun. Are they carved in the shapes of pineapples? Uh, I don't think the mountains are cold, so... (laughs) I'm thinking like a Mount Rushmore, but with four big pineapples. Four well-known pineapples. Four well-known pineapples, (laughs) right. (laughs) Okay, so, and then finally, the the garden maze, right? So, the Dole Plantation is also home to the Pineapple Garden Maze, named as the world's largest maze by the Guinness Book of World Records. Following its expansion in 2007, it now has 3.11 miles of paths and is more than two acres long in size. So it's not just the world's largest pineapple maze. It's the world's largest maze? Yeah. Garden maze? Yeah. Wow. So, and when viewed from the air, you can see that the maze is designed in the shape of a large aloha shirt with the pineapple symbol in the center. Oh, that's funny. funny. Yeah. And the maze actually consists of 14,000 plants, including uh, pineapple and penna. So, my guess is plants that are taller than pineapples <laughs> <laughs> to make the, the maze the rest. more difficult. <laughs> are you allowed to pause and eat some pineapple? No. My guess is no. But you can get freshly um, fresh pineapple there. Right. And they even offer, I think, where... You can send pineapple home. Like you can, yes, yes. you because should mail it home. We, because yeah. you can't take it on the airplane with right. you, so you have to send it home. Yes. yes. Yeah, because I remember us doing that. Yeah. I was reading reviews on the maze, and some people said it was difficult. Some people said it was, you know, fairly decent maze. The ratings range from having children to having no children, you know. Um, yeah, so what so, was good for somebody with little kids is going to be different right. than what's good for. A couple young adults there. Young right. adults or, yeah. or um, older, you know. Or older um, adults, yeah. Exactly. So, very interesting. Feel free to check it out. But the reason, one other thing that I wanted to mention is um, about Disney. So, what does Dole remind you of? Dole Whip. Dole Whip. That's right. So, apparently, Dole Whip can be found outside of Disney. But it's not called Dole Whip. It's called, I think... Dole soft served or something like right. that. Right. And I know, I remember researching that too. Yeah. So 
Here, you can have Dole Whip as well. They serve Dole Whip here. Called Dole Soft Serve. Yes. 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 And I found it interesting. So, apparently, shortly after the Tiki Room opened in Disney World, they had a Tiki Bar. Eventually, the Dole Company took over the sponsorship of that Tiki Bar. And I think, like, eight to ten years after the bar opened, that's when the Dole Whip actually came to Disney. And it became a big staple of Disney. Now... It can be found in other locations across the world, apparently, which I didn't realize, there's actually no pineapple in the pineapple Dole Whip. Like, if you look at the ingredients, it's, like, artificially flavored. Well, thank you, Sydney. Wow. Wow. Spoiler. (laughs) Wow. I know. Are you sure? Yeah. Look it up. That feels wrong. I'm going to disregard that. I'm going to accept that as wrong and disregard it. (laughs) You could Um, have it served in fresh pineapple juice, which is... Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yes. That's how I have it. But just the soft serve by itself, the ingredients for... Gotcha. I still feel wronged. (laughs) (laughs) There are some things you just shouldn't share. I, I wonder... So, Disney built... A resort on Maui next mm-hmm. to Oahu called Alani. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can get official like Dole Whip? Whip, official Dole Whip at that location, and not just nearly Dole Whip. <laughs> <laughs> nearly, not quite Dole Whip. Not quite. Dole I can't yeah. believe it's not Dole Whip. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I don't know. Sure. That's a good question. I mean, if they serve it at the Dole Plantation, then they probably serve it on the Disney site. Yeah. With yeah. the fresh um, pineapple nearby. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that but, was the Dole Plantation. Plantation sounds fun. It reminds me, when we went to Hawaii, we went to Maui as a family, right. and we visited a plantation there. Now, it didn't have all that. Mm-hmm. Like this one, the one we went to was a small scale, I think they called it a working plantation, but really it was a lot of the tour showing you small sections of where they had macadamia nuts, coconuts, Pineapple, pretty much anything you could buy, food-wise, on the island, and then you could have that shipped. Do you guys remember touring that in your? I do. Yeah, versus the pictures. I mean, I mean, you're sitting next to a picture, a photo book, Sydney, of our trip to Hawaii. Right. Um, <laughs> I can't see it, but I do remember uh, touring the plantation. Yeah, yeah because then, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember how fascinating it was to to. It's a little off topic, but I remember seeing how fascinating opening. A coconut yeah. was, mm-hmm. and how much work that and yes. effort that took, and because it's still done manually, it's still, still done, done by manually. hand. Yeah, and I will say, pineapple will still would have still been done manually, it without the help of James Dole, who figured out ways to to crank out um, the like the cut versions of them. Yeah, without oh. having humans to do it, oh, like having machines. To so do that it. was one of the things he. Pioneer, exactly, or invented. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember. Do you guys remember um, opening a coconut? Mm -hmm. Dad probably helped you open it, but then inside, you guys were scraping out the. It was very bland. Flash. It was so bland. Yeah. Yeah. I like that coconut better than actual coconut, personally. And then, do you guys also remember the weaving? Yes, Mm -hmm. I remember that a lot. Yeah, she was weaving with um, some kind of palms. Yep, a single one long single. She used one single palm frond, I think, to make an entire basket. Right, a woman at the plantation was hand making a basket right in front of us. Yes, talking to us about it, and yeah, that was. And we have one. Right, and we have one right there. It's actually on our yeah (laughs) counter. We keep fruits in it, and it's very yeah. yeah. And that was from 2005, and it's still great. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, uh, check it out. Um, if you happen to 
swing by it one day when you're in Hawaii. Let us know what your thoughts are and um, take lots of pictures. That's right. So this week I'm going off the beaten path again, this time to one of the most culturally and linguistically diverse countries in the world. Um, So my question for you guys is, what do you think the most linguistically diverse country in the world is? And to to clarify that question, the single country which has the most living languages still active in the country, not dialects. So... What do you think, Sydney? Um, I don't know, so I'm going to just guess India. Well, I know none of you know. Yeah, I have no earthly idea. Um, Russia? Is that a question? (laughs) (laughs) Does that have (laughs) diversity of Um, language? I think I know the answer, even if you say a different answer. (laughs) And that's because this country has not only its nation's capital, but it has the United Nations in it, and that's the United States of America. That's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have a list of the top countries here. Um, so the United States, starting with Dad and going around, is number five. Okay, not too bad. Is 311 languages spoken in the United States. That's a lot. That is yeah. a lot of languages. But not number one. But not number one. So... Russia is number 17. But it's still good. You still got in the top 20. How many does it have? Russia has um, 129 spoken languages. Go Russia. And then Sydney managed to get number 4 with India. 427 spoken languages. That correct. But also not number 1. Also not number 1. Um, but all big countries. Yes. And all of them but number one are big countries. You said but. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I think it's going to make more sense to you guys when I list number three and number two that they're more diverse. So number three is Nigeria with 516 spoken languages. Number two is Indonesia. With 742 spoken languages. Wow. And they respectively have populations of over 130 million in Nigeria and over 240 million in Indonesia. But number one only has a population of about 5 million, but it has over 800 spoken languages. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, and that's Papua New Guinea. Wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, I I wouldn't have guessed that either. So if you don't know where Papua New Guinea is, it's just to the northeast of Australia. So it's actually part of the continent of Oceania. So that is the fourth continent that I'm going to be talking about in my Off the Beaten Path series on the continents. Now, for those of you that are a little older, like Beth and my age, it's now called Oceania in our age, or our Day, it, it was, was called Australia. Yeah. <laughs> the continent was Australia. Yeah. So why is it now? Because uh, it obviously includes more than Australia. It's clear to say it's Oceania, which is Australia, New, New Zealand, Zealand, and New Guinea. Okay. I mean, it's got a lot of islands in there. Yeah, it's got okay. like the Solomon Islands are in there. So it's just the, how the different generations. Kiribati. Yeah, yeah. how Time we learned about yeah. it in school. It'd be kind of like calling North America United States. 
which is okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> also generationally, that's fine. <laughs> or like calling South America Brazil. Right, the biggest, whatever the biggest, right, whatever thing, the biggest thing is right. in that continent, on that continent. So, like Australia and New Zealand, Papua New Guinea has a lot of influences from the British Empire. They have a strong English-speaking population. There are three official national languages of Papua New Guinea. They are English, and then Tok Pisin, and Hirimotu. So the things that we have no clue what they are. We're all familiar with Hirimotu, obviously. Uh. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course. Right. So, like Australia and New Zealand, and a lot of the different islands in Oceania, the flag of New Guinea also sports the Southern Cross, which is the constellation that appears on the flag of Australia and New Zealand, which is very, very, very recognizable when you actually see it. So Papua New Guinea is actually split in half. It's part of the second largest island in the world, and half of it is part of the nation of Indonesia. And Papua New Guinea has some of the most isolated places on Earth. It still has a number, a large number of Stone Age cultures, which are very friendly to tourists that you can go and visit while you're there. So a lot of the tourist attractions in Papua New Guinea are going to be your tropical destinations, beaches, and a lot of things that you would think of very similar to Hawaii. They have a lot of volcanoes in Papua New Guinea um, and a number of still active volcanoes. Um, Very sort of low-lying, so you can walk and you can see the sulfur runoff into the ocean, uh, which is a very green-yellow kind of color. Hmm. Uh, you're making Beth is making a face right now. Yeah, unpleasant. Why? Yeah, that. Why is there a sulfur runoff from the it, from volcanic all the volcanic activity? activity? Yep. Um, so there's a number of places where you can walk on the rocks and feel the heat from underneath the rocks. That's interesting. Uh, which is very cool. There's a lot of different resorts. There's a lot of different beaches that you can go visit. So the currency in Papua New Guinea is the Papua New Guinean kina uh, and. It's not as cheap as, say, Sri Lanka, but it is relatively inexpensive to go to a lot of places there, especially if you go off the beaten path. (laughs) Shall we say? Shall we say off the beaten path? But there's places all over the island that you can visit, like these Stone Age cultures, and they have all kinds of local ceremonies that you can take part in and you can... Uh, you can eat with them. A lot of them, a lot of the local guides have sort of familial connections to a lot of these tribes or cultural connections to a lot of these various tribes and culture groups. But they also have a large number of tourist resorts, beaches, jungles. Uh, I believe over 70% of uh, the land on Papua New Guinea is covered in jungle. That's interesting. How much percent? 70. Oh, okay. That's a lot. So it's basically beaches and jungle. (laughs) It's basically beaches, volcanoes, and jungle. jungle. (laughs) But there's plenty of 
places for diving, which is a very sort of Oceania kind of activity. You always hear about that in Australia and New Zealand too, scuba diving. Plenty of places for for surfing. Yeah, but I always I think of that a lot in that area too. Unfortunately, I also think of sharks. <laughs> Interestingly, not a lot of mention of sharks in the tourist uh, <laughs> tourist sections. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, a lot of mention of crocodiles though. Oh, there's a lot there's a of whole crocodile festival. I was yep. I just looked at it. So up. crocodiles are a big uh, cultural thing in Papua New Guinea. One of the coins uh, of the Papua New Guinea in Kina actually has two crocodiles like sort of like tail? swimming around like head um, to tail yeah like head to tail swimming around a open center and it's uh-huh. one of the one of those rare coins that has a hole in the middle of it which is interesting definitely go to Papua New Guinea just to check out the the coins yeah definitely <laughs> but they have coral reefs and a large number of museums it's it's a lot of what you would see in just about any sort of island that you would go to. But a lot of what sets it aside is the cultural diversity that you can go to all these different places and see all of these different local customs and traditions and take part in all of these different people groups who still live in this way. That's interesting. So if they have resorts there, do you know which countries tend to visit there? Like I know these are off the beaten path from us in the U.S. Right. But do other, do you know which groups? Do well, as, as an English-speaking country... There's going to be a lot of English speakers that go there. It also has something that's very similar to Namibia in its history and very uncommon in nations around the world. So I don't know if you can guess what that might be. I'll test how well you were paying attention to our Namibia episode. It has red beaches? It has red beaches. No, it does not have red beaches. Black seas? Was that the Black Sea? Or was that... No. Yeah, that was... Sri Lanka? <laughs> no. What was <laughs> that? Bulgaria. Bulgaria. I want to go to Bulgaria now, though. Um, doesn't have... It has to do with its history. Oh. History. Oh, is it like the Gothic style kind of stuff? You're really close. It was one of the few German colonies. That's right. Yeah, oh, that's history. interesting. Yep, so it was a... Uh, under the German colonial empire, before, of course, the... British decided to take all of the German stuff, and it became part of the Commonwealth. That's so funny. So you you can see a little bit of that, not so much as Namibia, because Papua New Guinea is so isolated that um, it didn't have a lot of colonial control over it. But it was occupied by the Germans, and then the British, and then the Japanese during the Second World War, and then finally gained its independence. So given the four that you've talked about before, already do you know kind of the order of inexpensiveness from a vacation perspective that they would be right well part of that depends on where you're coming from in terms of your flight because it's okay. going to be more expensive to go to go somewhere that's further away or depending on how cheap flights are to various countries sure. but once you get there but once you get there um i cu- i couldn't say exactly because i haven't been to these places but if i had to wager a guess it would probably be depending on what you do but let's say that you do the same thing at each place cheapest to most expensive i would probably guess that it would be sri lanka namibia papua new guinea and bulgaria 
Okay. I kind of guessed Bulgaria would be the most would be most accessible because it is a euro based right. country. Right. But a lot of uh, a lot of the things that you do in Bulgaria aren't going to cost as much as they do in Western Europe. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, another fun kind of biodiverse, cultural diverse location to go to. Um, and if you like the resorts, I think all four of the places you mentioned have resorts as well as kind of the tours into the countryside. Uh, yep. That you can do other things into. And a lot of them, uh, definitely if you can, plan ahead and try to find local guides or people to take you off the beaten path in the country. Because that's where you're going to find a lot of the uh, diversity that maybe a lot of tourists don't have access to. at a lot of the different uh, geographical sites that are going to be sort of uh, crazy or unique once-a-lifetime kind of things to see. Right. Well, I wonder if they have delicious cold beverages at those resorts. Well, it's a pretty hot place, I think, so I hope they do. That's right. Well, I'm here to talk about another delicious cold... As a former Commonwealth state, I can almost guarantee they probably have tea. That is true. That's true. But do they have iced tea? I doubt that. <laughs> well, I'm here to talk about iced tea in the United States. The first tea plant arrived in the colonies some sometime between like the 1600s and 1700s i couldn't get a fast hard point at which it came over so that's a big span of time speaking of the united states as a colony because there's lots of colonies across the world but came to the colonies meaning the united states for the what became the united states what became the united states right. yeah the american colonies yep. um so there seems to be general agreement that it came to South Carolina. So South Carolina was the first state to grow tea and the only state to have produced tea commercially. So I thought that was interesting. Iced tea's popularity parallels the development of refrigeration, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. The oldest recipe for iced tea was in 1839, which was a green tea punch laced with alcohol. <laughs> wow. It was very popular. So, uh, <laughs> sure kind of a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> it was very popular and became widespread. Now, punches generally have, what is something called, like how does, how do you determine something as a punch? That is an excellent question that I do not have an answer for. Yeah, so if you know, let us know. So, in the recipe in the 1939 cookbook, The Kentucky Housewife, <laughs> says, a staple in all homes. That's right. In 1839, says for a tea punch, you make a pint and a half of very strong tea in the usual manner. <laughs> Strain it, pour it, boiling hot on one pound and a quarter loaf of sugar. That's two and a half cups of white sugar. And half pint of rich sweet cream and then stirring gradually a bottle of claret or champagne. You may heat it to the boiling and serve it so, or you may send it round entirely cold in glass cups. Wow. So, yes. But this was a green tea. This is not a black tea. So, this was a green tea punch. So, the next oldest recipe for a sweet tea without the alcohol was in 1879. So, this is, what, 40 years later. And this is in the Housekeeping in Old Virginia cookbook. So we started out as in the Kentucky Housewife. Now we're in the Housekeeping in Old Virginia. So we're working our way east. Yeah. Well, and this one was 
by far the one that was most prevalent in all of the research that I did. That this was where the first sweet tea came from. So after scalding the teapot, not scalding the teapot. <laughs> you bad teapot. <laughs> Uh, after scalding the teapot, put it in one quart of boiling water and two teaspoons of green tea. Let it stand till tea time and pour into decanters, leaving the sediment, yum, in the bottom of the pitcher. Fill the goblets with ice, put two teaspoonfuls granulated sugar in each, and pour the tea over the ice and sugar. So it's still so, green tea. It is still green tea, exactly. Mm. So now we're going to go to 1884... In Mrs. Lincoln's Boston cookbook, <laughs> what to do and what not to do in cooking in 1884. So this is the first printed recipe using black tea. This says this may be the first printed recipe using black tea, which has become very common today. Yeah, it has a very different taste than green tea. Yeah, yeah, but it is interesting yes. how green tea was the popular one for a while. Right. And then it became black tea. Now, only not too long ago, green tea has become it's popular back, yeah. as the healthy like, version again. Right. Right. Even now, you have a uh, Starbucks black iced tea sitting on the table right here. That's right. I do, and, and it's delicious. <laughs> it is delicious, but they also say that white tea tastes just like the black tea. Like the, the sweet tea. But without caffeine. But without caffeine. So, yeah, it's just interesting the different tastes. I would be curious to see if that was correct. I found white tea to be a little weaker mm-hmm. than black tea. So maybe you need to let it steep longer? Or maybe. just in general, it will never become I don't know. Strong. I haven't had enough of it to know. So this, it says this may be the earliest version of pre-sweetened iced tea, the usual way of making it in the South today. And what I've found in... Southern listeners can um, tell me if this is not correct, is that for it to be Southern sweet tea, you have to sweeten it while it's hot and then cool it down. You can't add sugar once it's cool. If if you add sugar once it's cool, it's called sweetened tea. Mm. But for Southern sweet tea, it needs to be sweetened before it gets cool. To me, it makes sense to sweeten it before it gets cool because the sweetener dissolves better. Right. Like a whole lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Southern or not. And her recipe says, and this is, I thought this was interesting. It said iced tea or Russian tea. Hmm. So in that, in this, Mrs. Lincoln's cookbook, it was iced tea or Russian tea. So I thought that was funny. Hmm. Maybe that was just because it was cold. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So... In 1904, at the World's Fair in St. Louis, there was a man there named Richard, and I'm going to try to pronounce his last name, Bleckenden, Bleckenden, from, and there's one, there's a source that will say he was a tea plantation owner. This one says he's an Indian, an India tea commissioner and the director of the East, East Indian Pavilion. They credit him, a lot of people credit him with the first iced tea. And the reason I brought up the earlier ones was to was to show that he was not the creator of iced tea. <laughs> but at the World's Fair in 1904, he was he had a the pavilion, the East Indian Pavilion, and he was trying to offer people tea, hot tea. But it was so hot that year that nobody wanted to walk around drinking hot tea on a hot day. Yeah, stupid hot tea. <clears throat> yeah. 
So because of the intense heat, he realized that the heat was preventing the crowd from drinking his hot tea. His team took the brewed India tea, filled several large bottles, and placed them on stands upside down, allowing the tea to flow through iced lead pipes. <laughs> okay, two things there. Let's just go beyond the lead for a minute. <laughs> iced lead pipes, which made it iced tea, which made a lot of people come and drink his tea. His, his lead tea. Now, his lead tea. let's go back to the fact that he was giving lead poisoning to everybody that he gave tea to. And let's just forget that, because that's not part of the story, apparently. <laughs> Does this mean that uh, authentic iced tea needs a little hint of lead in it? <laughs> that's right. This is well, like mom's lemonade thing. Right? Yeah. Like, it went south so no, no, no. <laughs> It is funny, though, because it said after the fair, Bletchenden, is how I'm going to say his name, took his lead pipe apparatus to New York City, New York City, offering free iced tea to shoppers at Bloomingdale Brothers Department Store, demonstrating iced tea as a desirable summertime drink. So he took his awesome iced lead apparatus on and iced tea. Because of that, it helped commercialize iced tea. Yeah, I, I would say that it probably helped make it more popular, more um, more people were aware of it. Exactly. I mean, right. he's at a pavilion at the World's Fair, right? right? So, yes. Well, but, and it's like your lemonade guy. <laughs> like, you know. Bach? Right, Bach. Yeah. Um, people might not have known about Egyptian lemonade before that, but he popularized it. Exactly, right. yeah. So, he, he, definitely had, he definitely has a part of this history. But it sounds like this guy didn't jump onto people's vehicles and accost them with lemonade. <laughs> with, his, with his lead iced tea? Right. No, he did not. So, in 19... That was in 1904. So, from ni- somewhere around in 1920 to 1933 was Prohibition, which was a ban on alcohol. So, that also helped iced tea gain popularity because people were looking for alternatives to drinking alcohol. And iced tea recipes at that time began to regularly appear in Southern cookbooks. That's right, before soda was a thing. Right. So, it's, it was the prohibition actually helped the popularity of iced tea. The rise of iced tea. That's right. <laughs> now, in 1941, according to What's Cooking in America.com, War. <clears throat> 1941, <laughs> yep, during World War II, Major sources of green tea were cut off from the U.S., which left the U.S. with tea almost exclusively from Britain-controlled India, which produced black tea. Americans came out of the war drinking nearly 99% black tea. Oh, wow. Wow. So which that was the switch. huge, a huge Yeah, and that's the part of that tea. the war histories leave out, is because Japan cut off all the green tea. We really just wanted our green tea back. <laughs> <laughs> So, I looked and could not find a satisfactory... I looked and could not find a satisfactory answer as to why sweet tea is such a southern staple. I found a lot of articles in the research assuring me that it is a southern staple. And I do believe that. We live in Virginia. And... Sweet tea is a big thing. And we also used to live in northern states, Pennsylvania, That's right. Ohio, New York. And, That's right. and it is not. It is not. And it's part of the southern culture. It's really 
Interesting. In 2003, this is was kind of a funny little thing that kept recurring throughout my research. Georgia State Representative John Noel and four co-sponsors, apparently as a joke, introduced House Bill 819, proposing to require all Georgia restaurants that serve tea to serve sweet tea. <laughs> Representative John Noel, one of the sponsors, is said to have acknowledged that the bill was an attempt to bring humor to the legislature, but wouldn't mind if it became law. The text of the bill proposes, there's an ABC, A, as used in this code section, the term sweet tea means iced tea, which is sweetened with sugar at the time that it is brewed. So it is correct sweet tea and not sweetened tea. B, any food service establishment which served iced tea must serve sweet tea. Such an establishment may serve unsweetened tea, but in such a case must also serve sweet tea. C, any person who violates this code section shall be guilty of a misdemeanor of a high and aggravated nature. <laughs> <laughs> so, it didn't say if it ever, if what, whatever became of that. So, um, I'm going to assume it. The joke was a joke, and everybody got the joke. Now, I looked up some iced tea commercials, trying to figure out, trying to remember what some of them were. I looked up four different teas that are used in iced teas in the United States fairly commonly. One is Nest Tea. Do you, rem- do you remember the Nest Tea Plunge? I absolutely remember the commercials for the Nest Tea Plunge. Yep. That does not sound appetizing. No. <laughs> well, it's hot, sweaty people would fall back onto solid objects that turned into refreshing swimming pools. And then it would show them a little later back on the solid object with no swimming pool around. So, like, there was one in a... And are, are they sipping the And they, They're drinking yeah. the tea before and after. Mm-hmm. So they have their iced tea, and they're, ref- and they're falling back as the, as the little blurb or the jingle or whatever is going on. And one is, like, a blanket, a picnic blanket in a park. So she's really hot. So she falls back, and she then she shows her sitting all drenched, but with her iced tea feeling refreshed and the kids are like looking under the blanket because <laughs> she did something really cool. Uh, another one was a gym mat. Another one was a rug in a house. So it's just, that was their little trend there. But it was, it was a, it was a good gimmick. Right. Because I still remember it. You still remember it. It yep. was a, the Nest Tea Plunge. Next was Tetley. And Tetley had the jingle. I like those tiny little tea leaves in Tetley tea. Oh, that's right. Do you remember, remember that? that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was... <laughs> really? Yeah, that was when we were growing up, I guess. And it was supposedly specially blended to drink over ice. Hmm. Lipton was the brisk tea. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of older claymation commercials. One with Bruce Willis, one with Rocky... And they had, they were given brisk tea, and then every, you know, whatever they were trying to do, they were able to just do it with gusto after their, they drink their brisk tea. Oh, I don't remember that one as much. Yeah. No, I didn't no. either, but there were, there were a lot of them. There were different ones. I'm definitely more familiar with the Lipton brand. Dad makes um, tea <laughs> from Lipton. Yeah, iced tea from Lipton. Right. I'm a big iced tea drinker. Right. You are. Now, I will say... That I am familiar with the Kermit the Frog drinking Lipton iced tea. 
Right. That yes. Mean. <laughs> the mean. Yeah. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah, with the Lipton tea bag is out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, Lucy Ann is the last one. And I only looked this up because I heard, I saw that it's only for iced tea and it's not cloudy and it's the brand Southerners prefer. Hmm. So I wonder if that's true. If you're a Southerner, let us know. Is Louisiana your preferred tea for iced tea? Very interesting. Yeah. So that was a fun little iced tea section that didn't go quite as dark as the lemonade. If yeah. you didn't, if you haven't heard the lemonade one, it's pretty yeah. interesting. It go could, if you think about all the colonialism of us getting that tea and the horrible labor practices that would have been yeah. done overseas. Well, we're not going to do that. But we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> We're just going to settle on iced tea, not tea history. Yep. And I, that's what I did. I went for iced tea, the refreshing iced tea, not tea in general. But I did find out, as far as tea in general, the origins of the Lipton iced tea uh, came from Sir Thomas Lipton in Glasgow. So I thought that was just a little interesting thing. There was a there was a there's a Sir Thomas Lipton Lipton that started the Lipton Tea Company. Cool, yeah. Very fun. So as always, we end our podcast with our future festivities. This time for the week of July 29th. July 29th is National Chicken Wing Day. Oh yeah. <laughs> July 30th is International Day of Friendship. Aww. July. Thirty-first is Uncommon Musical Instrument Day. Can you think of uncommon musical instruments? We're looking at Cole. Don't you have an uncommon musical instrument? I do. I have a uh, Eastern European balalaika. August first is National Girlfriends Day. Like not like your friends or girls. Right, right. August second is International Beer Day. Ooh, fun. August third is Campfire Day. And this is a delicious one. August 4th, National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. Yeah, I thought you were going to say National Dole Whip Day. <laughs> oh, I haven't found <laughs> that, that, that one. That would have been interesting. there is one. So for Sydney, Cole, Beth, and Randy, Happy, happy Summer! summer.